Smoke beers have been in existence for a long, long time. Way before the invention of drum roaster, back in the day, uh, brewers used to smoke malts on an open fire to add more color and complexity to the mark. This in turn imparted the smoky flavor as well. This is the Beer Savages podcast. This is your host Abhinav and joining with me today, my co-host Anudeep. What's happening dude, how's it going? I'm doing well. Uh, what's up guys? Uh, Today we got a very interesting episode uh, oh. and uh, um, Abhinav is going to introduce you to a special guest. So I can't wait to dive into this podcast. Yeah, I'm really excited and like Anudeep said, we have a special guest today uh, and who has been pioneer for the Indian craft beer industry since its inception. Um, his contribution has been immense in beer production and brewery operations as well. He's none other than Oliver Schoff, the co-founder of Dulali Craft Beers, which is one of the first microbreweries in India and also Oi Brewing Company, which is one of his latest breweries that he's part of. He also holds a degree in brewing technology from VLB Berlin. So Oliver, thanks for being with us today. We are honored to have you as our guest and on our show. Also very happy to be here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Oliver. Um, we can't wait to dive into the episode. Uh, so we have a few questions for you, uh, but First, uh, I know it's been a while since you've, uh, you have visited Bangalore, so how's Bangalore? Bangalore, as I remember, yeah, terrible traffic, good beer. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you visited any breweries uh, since your yeah. visit here? I have been there, I have been here this time, unfortunately only for two days, so I didn't have much time to spend too much time on the road. I have visited the pump house and uh, I have visited Uru and by the people. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's mostly JP Nagar? Right? Mostly yeah. JP Nagar, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the next time you come here, like you get to try all your favorite IPAs and <laughs> probably you can go on your beer crawl. The thing is you need so much time for traveling in Bangalore. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we just want to dive into the first question. Um, and since today's episode is all about smoked beers, um, so Oliver, you must have tried many smoked beers in your lifetime and also brewed many as well. Um, so in your opinion, what do you look for in a smoked beer? Smokiness. <laughs> Actually, uh, when I say smokiness, of course, smokiness is not always the same. It depends very much what, what type of wood has been used. And the smokiness ranges from uh, very dry and a little harsh often yeah, to, yeah. to very juicy, uh, juicy smokiness, like you know this from bacon probably. Yeah, ashy sometimes. Yeah. But that is, of course, yeah, it is the defining, the defining quality in a, in a smoked beer. So, right. and, and also I think it's very uh, subjective for a brewer on like how much smoke that he desires. Like, because I've seen smoked beers ranging in the intensity where some are like very uh, mild in smoke and more of the, the malt coming through or more of the other flavors coming through. Uh, but there are some places like especially the classic ones from uh, Germany that are like uh, very much on the smoke side. Uh, so, do you think that it's it's it, it's really subjective to brewers or like? So the German smoked beers are one of these regional styles which actually survived uh, the lager revolution. Yeah, it's there are a few regional styles which survived in various places in Germany, like Altbier in Düsseldorf, and uh, Kölsch in Cologne, and smoked beer in Bamberg. And uh, there is still a lot of these blue these smoke beers in Bamberg, they tend to be really smoky. They are not something which is background, it's not something which is background flavor, but it's pretty much in your face. Huh? And they make their own malt often and uh, smoke their own malt. Some of them even grow their own barley, 
It is a very, it is a very traditional business in and around Bamberg still. What are, what are some of the uh, very common uh, smoked malts that you've come across, like in 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 Germany as a whole, um, like type of different woods? Yeah, so beech wood in in Germany, beech wood is the most common wood. Yeah, this is what is also used for bacon in Germany, and uh, it gives a very mellow, very juicy smoke, sweet in flavor. What is also sometimes used as oak. Oak already is much more on the cold and little harsher side. Uh, it's not so common to find in beers in Germany. Anyway, anyway, the smoked beers are very regional, are very regional. Uh, appearance in Germany. There is, you have some small modern microbreweries which do them, but if you go to the more traditional places, it is only made in and around Bamberg. Okay. So for all the listeners out there, like, uh, we want you to uh, give us the actual pronunciation of the smoke in German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is something I try to teach my barmen all the time, yeah. It is not Rauchbier. <laughs> this is Rauch beer. There you go. Rauch beer. You've already seen people calling it Rauch beer. Rauch beer. Don't say Rauch beer. Especially when you go to Bamberg. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but that's, that's really great. So I know we've discussed this briefly before. Um, the, you also wanted to know more about your new in-house smoking drum and oil brewing company. Um, and could you just walk us through your... Uh, Smoking process. process. Yeah. Um, just talk us through the process and then how you guys uh, been experimenting with all the different kinds of woods more lately. So Rauchbier actually has been something which always fascinated me huh? because it is it is very versatile the flavor. It is depending on the on the quantity of Rauchmalt you actually add. Yeah? The impression of the Rauch changes very much. If you just use it as a background ingredient, it Basically, it mostly increases the maltiness without being perceived too much as malt. Well, if you want a proper malt beer, you have to increase the volumes to 30-60% of the grist. And uh, then, of course, all the other parts of the grist, the, the crystal malts you would be using in this, yeah, the dark malts you would be using, they play with the smoke. And then the third part, of course, is the smoke itself, the wood which is being used. Yeah, I said this before. And uh, there so far, of course, we have been limited to what is available commercially. Right. So if you, if you do this at home, then uh, you can probably do this on a, barbecue, uh, on a barbecue grill and you get like 2 kg, 3 kg of mold and you can make a nice and uh, you can experiment with different smoked, smoked mold which you make at home. When you do this, by the way, you should be, uh, you should be a little careful not to let the mold getting too warm. Yeah, you want to preserve your enzymes because the mold is there in uh, more than 50% of the grist. So you should not you should not destroy enzymes in the mold by uh, while you smoking them. But uh, I mean, you see the limitation is already that uh, in a microbrewery, yeah, it is not three four kg in a microbrewery. It is actually you need 100 kg, yeah, and 100 kg is something you can't do in the kitchen anymore. But it is also it's also too small to go to a mold house and say, can you do this for me? Yeah, so actually often that is the situation often in a microbrewery where you sitting between tables, between chairs. Yeah? You, are, you are too big to do it at home and you're too small to ask somebody else to do it for you. So often you don't have access and that is where because I feel there's a lot of potential and a lot of versatility and especially also this is a very affordable ingredient, ingredient in malt. Yeah? 
especially for being so versatile. Where at OI, we invested in an entire smoke setup that is basically a drum, a big drum, which turns all the time during the smoking process. It can hold about 150 kg of malt. Is it automatic or like you? No, it has a, it has a motor, yeah? You don't have to turn it. We don't have so many interns, unfortunately, yeah, to turn it. <laughs> So we, we needed to optimize it. And then there's an external smoker, yeah, where we, which we fill with wood chips. Yeah. We have also a chipping machine. And we can, in this chipping machine, then we throw different woods. We have been using beech wood. Uh, we have been using coconut, coconut husk. Yeah. And uh, now we just got some baboon wood. Also sourcing some uh, mango wood. And this is just the beginning. Yeah? Then we make, yeah. we make usually small batches first to see how they come out, how they turn out. And it's very interesting because all these woods have really different flavors. So, so what's, like, what's the maximum that you can smoke at once in your roaster? We can fill about 150 kg in it. Then it's pretty full. Yeah? We have been, so far, we have been doing 120, about 125. If it's, uh, I mean, when the drum turns, yeah, the malt still has to it has to flow freely, yeah, so that the smoke the smoke is actually uh, attaching to it evenly. Yeah, that also takes quite a long time. It's not because the malt is so dry; it's not taking up the smoke very easily. So the smoking process takes about two hours, two three hours until okay. you have decent smoke flavor wow. on the malt. So do you periodically check uh, and taste it like... Yeah, yeah I, I do, but it's actually, it's not so easy to taste this because you're sitting next to the smoke all the time, yeah? So your, your taste buds are fully numb after two hours and uh, you taste them all and think, oh damn, yeah, there's no smoke in it at all after two hours. But then you, you take it all and put it in a bag and then come back after next day and your entire mold storage smells like smoke, yeah? And it's also very interesting, actually, that the smoke flavor, it changes, uh, it, it changes in the course of the next two weeks. It actually starts off being a little harsh. Yeah, so the first time we did this, we were pretty disappointed about the results because it, was, it wasn't what we were looking for. Yeah? All the juiciness were missing and it was tasting more like ash tree, yeah? not really desirable. And uh, well, then we kept it there, we kept it in the bag and uh, Two weeks later, tested it again, yeah, and it totally changed the character. And then suddenly, you had all the all the sweetness and the juiciness in it. Mm -hmm. So it needs it needs time, yeah, with everything like everything in brewing. Yeah, we never we never get immediate results like yeah. in the kitchen. We just yeah. add a little bit of pepper and salt, and then you change your dish. In brewing, always, yeah, I think everybody who's who's doing it learn to be patient and to wait two weeks, three weeks until you actually have the results. So if we're doing it at home, uh, like for a home brewer, like let's say two kgs or three kgs, um, so is, do you think it would be like challenging to get the consistent smoke all throughout or like it's still attainable with the barbecue? I don't think consistency is that important as a home brewer. Yeah? You want to, I mean, there's but a lot But like of you said, if some of the, the, the malts uh, are like overly burned, then it... No, no, they don't burn. It's not getting hot. Yeah, okay, so so it's just yeah we passing, we passing cold smoke fluid. Yeah, it's, it's burned at a low temperature and then it's being blown into the drum and similar it is actually done when you do this at home. You don't have a big fire, you have like a small yeah. small couple of coals on which you put the wood mm -hmm. so that it just um, it just glows, yeah, it doesn't burn. 
And not like the fire fire. Yeah. Oh, so and it's just the smoke I, blowing up. Yeah, yeah, just the smoke. It should not get, it should not be too Got hot. Yeah. Right, right, right. So uh, I don't think, I don't think that's a big problem even doing this at home. Yeah, and the results, of course, they might not be so consistent, but I guess that's the fun in home brewing also. Yeah. Right. So, so you, you discover, you discover new flavors every time. Uh, yeah. yeah. So what malts you recommend for smoking, like the base malts, or like you can you like really use uh, something like Munich or Vienna or Pilsner? You can smoke anything, obviously, yeah. But uh, the darker malts, it uh, like like crystals. Yeah, you can, but then you are also limited. Uh, you are limited in the amount you want to add them to your beer. Yeah, you might not want to add twenty percent crystal malt oh, to your beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So normally, normally, this you use base malts for smoking. Which might be also Munich malts. Yeah, I'm. I'm so far. I've been using only pale, pale uh, base malts for this, because the smoked beers I've been doing with this so far Bamberg style, they have a, they have a pale malt base, some crystal in it. Yeah, they have some malt backbone, a little bit, a little bit roastiness in it from like just a very small percentage, one or two percentage of roasted malts. And uh, but the majority is still pale malts. The attenuation is also that similar to to lager beers. Yeah. yeah. So you need you need pale malts in order to get these attenuation. Mm -hmm. Have you used uh, any sort of uh, uh, like wheat for smoking or like just it's just been like the barley malt? No, so far I haven't I haven't done that. But certainly, yeah. Why not? Why not? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I tasted I tasted some smoked wheat beers also, but that I find that character a little extreme. Yeah, that is a smoked banana. Yeah. And I even <laughs> had a I even had a smoked uh, Hefeweizen Bock. Yeah, that is. Oh, they make one. They make oh. one. Uh, I, but that's the one beer of them I actually don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think these flavors don't work together. Yeah. Banana, banana and smoke somehow not, they are not born to be with each other. <laughs> so you love it uh, in a lager, a style like lager that yeah. showcases a lot of... Uh, the lager of course, yeah, it, 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 keeps the, it keeps the smoke prominent. But I also love, uh, love it in dark beers and porters and stouts sometimes as a background flavor. Yeah. I've been using it, uh, smoked malt also in, uh, in just dunkels. The, dark lager beers where I just put like one or two percent yeah, where you actually don't taste the smoke but you perceive it as maltiness then. It like just complements the malt. Yeah. Yeah, you use it as a, as a bit of, to give it a bit of death yeah, without actually being noticeable as smoke. Yeah. Uh, porters, porters I think also can be brilliant when they are smoke. Yeah, we love your smoke porter by the way by the people. Uh, it's been consistent for a long time and uh, which I think really complements the style as well for a porter. Uh, those those malty notes, maybe like those nuttiness, the chocolatey kind of flavors yeah. get from the malt, and also complementary smoke. Yeah, uh, that's that's brilliant. I've, I've I've had some memories with the smoke porter of with Alaskan Brewing Company. Oh that's, yeah, that's actually that's one porter I always wanted to taste. It's my inspiration to making a smoke porter, but unfortunately I have never been able to get one myself. Yeah, to actually taste this. But it's my it's my role model for making smoked porters. Yeah. When I go there, like in the second half of this year, I'll make sure I'll get you one. Oh, that would uh, be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, been, yeah. I've been wanting to try this for probably last 10 years. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. So um, we've already talked about smoking malts in-house on a homebrew scale as well. Now we just want to go dive deeper. And then um, since we've already spoken to you about your rock beer at OI, um, 
we would love to know, like, if someone wants to get started on a homebrew uh, for rock beer, um, what would be your suggestions for the grist and what, in what percentage uh, should they be using it? Let's say you already have small malt. Like, how much percentage <laughs> would you recommend? Yes. I mean, it depends, of course, on the intensity of the smoke malt. If you take, if you take smoke malt from Wireman or what else, what you get in the market, yeah. So, some of these are a bit more intensive than others. Castle, which is available, tends to be much more intensive than Wireman, for example. Irex is also on the lower side. It's on the lower side, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's on the lower side. Depending on that, yeah, you would have to calibrate between 50 and 80 to 90 percent of smoke malt. So if you go okay. with Wireman, you probably want you want your entire pale grist to be of smoke malt, which is like 80, 85 percent. I usually I usually add some crystal malt. What is very interesting is uh, Wireman's rye, Kara rye. Yeah, it gives a very nice bready flavor to it. It tastes like the crust of the bread. Yeah. And uh, that complements. I think that complements the smoke very nicely. Yeah. I'm. If you aim. If you want to make a Bamberg style beer, yeah, you aiming at. Uh, you aiming at a color of uh, the upper 30s EBC and EBC. It's something which is like brownish, right, yeah. brownish. Uh, it's like dark amber to light brown, yeah. and uh, it actually tastes like this. Yeah, I mean the smoke is prominent, but uh, it's also also has a very malty background. It has malty, it has caramel notes in it, yeah, this, which all supports the beer, while still being pretty drinkable. It is it is regular. It has a regular lager attenuation. It's attenuated about 80 percent, 12 to. 12 to 2.5 percent, yeah, 12 percent mm -hmm. OG, 2.5 FG in plateau. Uh, it's very drinkable also. So it's, the smoke is, by the way, also something which you don't taste across many glasses. Probably similar to IPAs also, where the bitterness fades away after the second glass. That is, uh, the smoke is also fading away pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah. You have, it's very prominent in the first sip, but then if you're down two, three glasses, then the smoke is uh, is very, very faint. Only. I've heard it from many people uh, who quit after the first sip, but that's when the thing changes. Like after first sip, your mouth get gets used to that smoke, and you won't find that intensity anymore. No, no. The second glass, the second glass doesn't have anything of the intensity. <laughs> and then the third glass, yeah, you're looking for the smoke. Where is it? <laughs> it's the same thing uh, when you said uh, uh, you were smoking it in the drum, uh, uh, the smoking drum, yes, you yes. the same thing, like you yep. get used to that smoke and you don't yep. find the smoke anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's actually like this with many flavors, yeah. It's, uh, the bitterness is, it has the same effect, yeah. The first sip is always the most bitter one and then uh, your, palate get, your, your palate gets numbed, yeah. And yeah. Then, then the second glass already doesn't taste that bitter anymore. Right. So do you add any like uh, like the smaller percentages of uh, like uh, roasted malt for the color or you just get it with the crystal and the regular uh, smoke? You can add you can add a little bit of roasted malt yeah some 1% 2% dark malt right. black malt that is how Altbier is traditionally still brewed in Düsseldorf basically Altbier is really colored culture yeah? <laughs> I'm from Düsseldorf yeah I shouldn't say this but uh, <laughs> the 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 Naked Albier is a pale beer to which about 2% black malt is added. Wow. It's also much more bitter though, yeah? the, while, while Kölsch beers tend to, be, tend to be in their lower 20s or even upper 10th upper in bitterness. The Albiers are more like 30, some of them go to 50 IBUs. 
So, so they, the, the they, are, they, are, they are one of the most bitter beers we find in Germany. Wow. So, uh, like coming to the Bamberg beers, uh, do they use the crystal malts as well or like how common is it? I would think so, yeah. It's... Uh, is it like mainly because of the sweetness or like just sort of that caramelly, sort of that bready or... Yeah, I, I, I personally, th it is there, yeah, it is there also in Schenkel. It is not, it is not overly pronounced, yeah. You don't want to make like a biscuity Christmas beer. Yeah, yeah. But you want a little bit, uh, you want a little bit support for the smoke. Otherwise, if you have smoke in a, if you, if you, you can make a pale lager beer with smoke mold, but the smoke would be pretty lost in that, in these flavors, yeah. It's, it, I personally think it needs some support. It works good in multi beers, it works good in dark beers. I don't like it so much in really only pale beers. Like a smoke like Yeah. Smoke <laughs> no, there also, I mean, we also made like smoke, we, we made some smoked ciders. And uh, it's interesting in there, yeah, but uh, but the smoke doesn't integrate as nicely as it does in a beer. Yeah, it always it always feels like an outsider in that. Mm. I uh, hope you come up with the smoked salsa soon. <laughs> 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 I know, because I, I tried your first salsa at uh, Great Street Dive, and uh, that was quite interesting, because now we've been seeing salsas lately. Uh, people started making them. Like I think it's a it's a perfect summer drink. Uh, I'm not against it, but I I would I personally prefer beers. But but there, there's a market, there's an audience for that. I I also, but I mean it is it is uh, it's easier and faster to make. While in India, of course, you can't really make it as 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 cheaply as you would do this in the U.S. Yeah, because uh, it falls it falls in no category. If you want to ferment it from just sugar, uh, you are in between many different excise categories, and you won't get permission for this. So in oil, for example, and also in, also in uh, By the People, we made this from uh, meat. And we basically prepared a base meat and uh, then we filtered this for activated carbon, similar to bourbon, yeah, where you remove all flavors and all color from it and get a very neutral drink. <clears throat> it's actually, I mean, looking at the way you have to make here, it is uh, opposite of its reason of existence. I mean, it was invented because it's a cheap way to make alcohol, yeah. That's why, that's why White Claw invented it, yeah. It's cheap to make, it's cheap to make liquor from just fermented sugar and uh, they were lucky to get it classified as beer which carries the least taxes. Right. That is, that's the only, that's the only reason how it was, how it came into this world, yeah. But, uh, I still think, yeah, it is an interesting drink and in certain situations I also like it, yeah. It's, it's very refreshing and if you watch your calories, if you, if you watch your carbs, yeah, there is not many choices you have otherwise because this really is fully carb-free. Compared to making a low-calorie beer or, uh, uh, or a, you know, zero-alcohol beer, it's, I think it's seltzers are easy, easier to make, I think, right? The, the complications that it involves in... I wouldn't say that. We also, in Dulali, we also make a low-cal IPA, which actually is very interesting, yeah. But, uh, I mean, in the end, yeah, there is a conflict between function and taste because uh, if you don't want calories, you don't have, you have to remove all you remove all the carbohydrates yeah so the beer tastes actually very empty yeah, and the hops the hops also they they while the flavors is there they seem a little lost yeah they have no support in the beer it's not bad yeah if you if you want to look after your calories probably one of the better choices but uh, 
if you have if you don't have to do this then probably you would prefer a regular IPA. Uh -huh. I mean nothing can beat that regular IPA like it's those those flavors and all uh, you can still replicate it but it's not the same because uh, I've seen uh, like you know something like a brute IPA compared to your regular IPAs uh, where I've seen the higher the mouthfeel the higher the body uh, I, I felt that the retention of hop flavors were more. Uh, yeah brute IPA of course goes into that direction but they are brute IPA is still a very while while the attenuation is very high the OG also is very high, yeah? so while you lack some of the some of the body coming from the carbohydrates, you still you still have a lot of body from the alcohol itself because it's actually a very alcoholic beverage. Uh, alcohol in that percentage also gives some it gives some body, it gives some sweetness by itself. But if you if you reduce both, if you reduce uh, if you increase attenuation and reduce and reduce the OG, yeah, then the beer becomes very light. Right. Yeah. I know we drifted a little bit from the yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, yeah, smoke no, topic, yes. uh, but yeah, real quick, like for smoked beers, like do they diminish in smoked quality uh, with age, or the smoke still retains in the beer? Uh, unfortunately, it uh, it vanishes over time. Ah, so just like your yeah. hop flavors and aromas, the smoke is gonna go. Yeah, down the smoke, uh, the smoke is. Uh, Volatile. I think that that is very challenging when uh, you look at the traditional methods of lagering when you're making a rock beer, rock beer and uh, like the time of for conditioning and maturation that it goes through like uh, months uh, do you think that is challenging to retain smoke even after like those months it will come down over over a period of I mean in the microbrewery usually you don't mature for months and there's a maybe they keep that in mind and add uh, higher quantities so that it retains after a like few months if you keep it cold it will survive yeah, but you have some old samples also of Shankale which reached India and there you already feel that the intensity of the smoke is much less if you would compare this to what the beers originally had in, in Bamberg. So uh, it does it does lose intensity and the mold itself also loses intensity. So you'll have a better chance of survival in, in a keg or a BBT than, yeah. Normally the beer does not get so old in a microbrewery. Yeah. I'm, I'm, our beers, our beers rarely, even the smaller styles, they actually never cross three months. Unless oh, you yeah. intentionally, yeah. you intentionally want to age beers. Yeah, if you have strong beers, then you keep them on the side and age them. But uh, if you, the regular beers, usually you plan ahead and you don't want to get them older than three months. Three months for most styles works still pretty well. Yeah, if you careful about about oxygen uptake, if you keep care of your your refrigeration chain, then three months is possible. But I mean, uh, I it makes sense. I mean, we have never seen any beers staying more than three months in a microbrewery, so yeah. yeah. Just a few, but yeah, not more than three months. Yeah, yeah. And in three months, that flavor flavor degradation in Rauchbier is not really a big problem. So, like, if, if this is if in case if you remember, uh, like for the homebrewers out there, like what would be a typical uh, mash schedule for your Rauchbier? Uh, like in general, like 60 minutes is that like the ideal thing? Um, time for sacrification or do you make step mashes you don't need to do step mashes yeah these are these are all highly converted molds which you use so step mesh is not required it's easily done in a in a single temperature mesh you would want to do this somewhere at uh, at the beta amylases uh, temperatures 66 67 because you're looking at an attenuation in the end of about 80 percent it's it's not a very thick beer yeah unless that is for a rauch beer that's for the bamberg style rauch beer 
if you want to make a porter, that's different, yeah. Then you would apply whatever you want for a porter. But they don't do any decoction mashing for the no, octaves, right? No, that is actually I'm not sure. I it, mean, might, it might be even though even though they modernized, many old bluemaster actually kept their kept their own decoction mesh schedules. So also in the place in the place where uh, I learned bluing in Düsseldorf and the Füchsian, we uh, did at least a single decoction. Even though this was not necessary, yeah, but uh, it is just tradition and the brewmaster has always done that, so they don't change that. I think, I think uh, a lot of people debate, even like some of the German brewmasters that has a lot of these experience traditionally, I, they might, they still debate that they can find out the difference between a decocted beer versus a non-decocted beer. Oh, I, I, I did try this, but at least with a single decoction, I uh, was not able to find the difference. That might, of course, be different. Yeah, if you do like traditionally three decoctions for yeah, each step, yeah, then yeah. you boil the you boil your thick mesh three times, and that might actually make a difference. But in a in that simple, I mean, the most basic decoction mesh is where where after the 60 degree rest, you take the thin mesh out into your lotter ton, and the thick mesh, which is about one third of your mesh, yeah, you keep you keep in your kettle and you boil that and then uh, after boiling you pump it pump it in the loader ton and the combined mesh would come to about 78 degrees that is that is like the modern decoction which many breweries still follow for traditional reasons many smaller breweries not the larger breweries in germany but the smaller breweries often do that so it's, there is no technical need anymore like it used to be there used to be the the, the mesh the mesh kettle was a mesh ton yeah, so there was no way to do step meshing uh, by heating your mesh. You had to do decoction if you want to go through different temperature uh, so steps. So the systems were built for decoction and Yes, not yes, yes. So this was the only way to get to the next temperature rest. Because the, the, the ton, yeah, it was a mesh ton, not heated. So you had to you had to boil part of it to get to the next temperature. So how about hops? Uh, what would you recommend, uh, like the targeted IBUs uh, for the hops? I'd keep I'd keep this light, yeah. I'd keep this around 20, lower 20s, and uh, not not too prominent late hops, continental hops. Yeah, you don't want. I don't think American hops would work so nicely with the smoke. Yeah. So just so a noble hops. Yeah. Just a good old Magnum would do. Magnum, uh, you get you put you put some sars in the oh. late hopping, but not too much. Yeah, don't overdo it because you want the smoke there. Yeah, you don't want you don't want too hoppy noses. That's too. awesome. And uh, what's like your typical uh, uh, targeted uh, alcohol percentage? Like, how do you keep it at like five to six percent? Yeah, five to six percent. It's a regular beer. But there's nothing to stop you from making a bock beer from it. Yeah, that is yeah. probably probably very interesting. Yeah, smoked bock. That Schenkeler has seasonal has seasonal beers. Their Marzen is a little stronger than the than the regular smoked beer. Very tasty. Uh, yeah, I think I think they also have a bock beer, but I haven't tasted that yet. Urbock. I don't know how to pronounce it. Urbock. 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 Sorry. Sorry for butchering it. <laughs> We should we should actually take the German lessons first before anything else with Oliver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's also this thing, uh, uh, Metzen is not like you know the pronunciation of oh, that. It's Metzen, it's Metzen. But that's that's usually quite quite okay in English even. Many people say Marzen, but it's, yeah. it's okay. It's not as uh, distorted <laughs> as Rauch. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great. And only one thing that's left with the with the recipe making is obviously the yeast. Uh, so if someone's making a rock beer, uh, I know that it, it doesn't have to have any sort of yeast character because it's it's a lager and it has to be clean, right? So what would you recommend uh, for like the, the type of yeast strain? You can, uh, traditionally, you would do this with a lager strain, but uh, this might be a problem with many homebrew setups. 
because you have to keep this cold. So you can alternatively, you can also easily use a neutral uh, ale strain like USO5. Or can we use quake? Quite lager yeast. Uh, you, why not? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, fake, lager. that's a fake lager. It might, it might not be the traditional choice, yes. but it, it might actually be interesting. Yeah. It actually works. We made a doppelbock, and it actually worked. It was quite neutral. Uh, it didn't show up any sort of flavors in the ambient temperature. So this was a pseudo lager yeast by Omega. Uh, this didn't have any. I know it's 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 crazy, but uh, at the ambient temperatures, it didn't give out any sort of esters. All we were getting that sort of dried fruit flavors from the malt. We used some lot of the special B and some dark crystals. Yeah. Uh, but actually it was it was yeah. not bad. Uh, yes. well, quake, quake yeast is a very amazing yeast, yeah. That's something it's I haven't I have brewed like a few batches with it so far. Tradition brewers hate hate the, this approach. Uh, but for, for home brewer like you know it's all about having fun so I think <laughs> but usually in general uh, you recommend like a clean yeast, right? For this, this, this would be the classic choice, yeah. yeah. But I mean nothing is really uh, Forbidden. Yeah. Otherwise, another good choice might be might be a yeast which gives you a bit more sweetness, like SO4. Yeah, SO4 S33 you, as well, right? Yeah, uh, uh, the, like low attenuation. It has a relatively low attenuation. Yeah. Yeah, there, there you, you end up probably with 70% attenuation. You have a sweeter, you, you retain a sweeter body. And uh, this also works very nice with the, with the smoke. Yeah? The smoke, uh, this, this, this carries the smoke very nice. It's not a very traditional choice, but I like, I've tasted many smoked beers which are made in that approach and uh, they are generally very nice. So someone making, a, uh, making it with the lager yeast, so what, what pitching rate do you recommend? Like in, in the microbrewery, you know, we do this actually with a staggered approach. Yeah? We do usually two batches and uh, we pitch the first batch and wait until that is in high cloison and then add the second batch on top. Because this yeast also is very costly. Yeah? If you oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so you harvest the, yeast the yeast for generations or do you... We, we, yes, yes, we crop the yeast and we reuse it, yes. But that... That of course requires yeah, a certain amount of lager business. If you don't have that, I, I never store the yeast longer than two weeks. So if you don't have the next brew after two weeks, then you need to you need to open a new pack afterwards. So. And what temperatures do you recommend for fermentation, as cold as possible? I do this classic, yes. I, 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 ferment, I ferment at 10 to 12 degrees, and then I go up to like 16 to 18 degrees okay. in the last third, in the last third of the fermentation. So how long would it typically take for you uh, to get there, like to finish off the fermentation? If, if, the, yeast, if the yeast is um, healthy, yeah, if you have like, uh, if you pitch fresh yeast and you, you pitch healthy fresh yeast, good viability, uh, without temperature shock, the fermentation actually is not much longer than an ale yeast. Then it, it takes about well, seven months. For the active fermentation to go away. Well, yes, for the entire fermentation. And then would you give some sort of uh, maturation time for like... Uh, yeah, of course. You, you, need, you need to keep some diacetyl rest afterwards. That's where I usually increase the temperature to 16 to 18 degrees. And uh, this takes three to four days until your diacetyl is reduced and then you uh, crash it, yeah. So you crash it like one degree at a time or like just directly crash no, it? No, I, I, this is, if you, if you do a diacetyl rest, you don't need to do it at one degree at a time. Okay, the, so the reason why this is traditionally done at one degree at a time is because you actually do the secondary fermentation in your lager cellar. The lager cellar used to be ambient cooled, yeah, it used to, used to be an ice cellar in the old days where you have like temperature of zero degrees and uh, you wanted to finish off the beer. Often some Speise, yeah, some, some uh, first word was added during the transfer so that there was some sugars to uh, munch on for the yeast again. 
and then the, the almost ready beer was transferred in the lager cellar and the lager cellar then it would slowly, slowly cool down by about one degree per day because lager, lager yeast is actually very temperature sensitive. Yeah? While it can ferment at low temperatures, but if you crash it like three, four degrees at a time, it just stops fermenting. Yeah, it just it just it flocculates, and then your it's very difficult to restart your fermentation afterwards. If you want to do this classic, even if you do if you do lager beer at home, yeah, you should see that your temperature variations are not too large because uh, lager yeast is very difficult to wake up after after you put it to cold sleep. Yeah, in in ale beer, in ale yeast, this is no problem. Yeah, you just heat it up, it starts fermenting where it stopped. But uh, lager yeast doesn't do that. Lager yeast takes many days to uh, to get active again, and you never get the same attenuation uh, after after you cold crushed it. So for your rock beer, like what, what point of the process do you harvest the yeast? Uh, is it after primary fermentation, like after? Yeah, it comes. Yeah, when the FG when the FG is uh, close to the FG, the yeast starts settling, and then also I take it out immediately. I don't keep it in the fermenter. I take it from the okay. bottom. I take it out every every day, later, every second day. There is no there's no benefit in autolysis flavor huh, in the yeah, beers. Yeah. So I wreck this, I wreck this very early. Also to keep the yeast healthy. This by the way is something which in some beers you want a little bit of autolysis. When you do a stout, yeah, then the autolysis actually helps you to to uh, to increase your pH a little bit. The pH often is very low because so many dark malts are used. So you keep it you keep it resting on the yeast for a little longer. Don't wreck it immediately. You have a bit of autolysis, and the pH will come up. So this is there in certain cases. This is actually beneficial, but not in lager beer, in my opinion. So yeah. Like thinking of water for a home brewer. Like I know it's 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 a lot of uh, uh, you know technicality involved with water profile and all that. But for a home brewer. Would, is it still okay to uh, brew with the regular auto, auto water or like do you need to adjust this? I, I usually just, I mean the auto water usually is very soft so I usually adjust some nominal amounts of uh, calcium sulfate and calcium chloride into it just to get it back to a normal level yeah, and not to brew with distilled water. Usually keeping, keeping the calcium ion somewhere in the range of uh, 80 to 100 ppm. But the, the smoked malt, do they uh, reduce the pH? Or, uh, no. Or they won't, okay. So not like the dark roasted malts? Yes. Oh, okay. um, yes, so so one last thing about this this final conditioning that you do before you put it on tap, uh, how long would you typically wait? Uh, do you wait for, like after maturation, like do you wait for it to like uh, clear down or you add any clarifiers or like what's the schedule? That depends. Yeah, that dep so at, at, OI, at OI, we are in the lucky situation that we have a centrifuge there, which can accelerate this, yeah, the clarification. Uh, otherwise, clarifiers help. Yeah, If you have time enough, then you can also wait. It can also be a little hazier. The lager beers, they tend to be not too hazy. Yeah? They never become as hazy as wheat beers, and you never have this powdery, powdery, thick yeast in your mouth like you like you sometimes have that with wheat beer so uh, even even if it's not perfectly clear yeah the beer is, tastes still very good it would be a keller rauch then wow. <laughs> so you can make it uh, i think from what you've said probably in four weeks you can make a good uh, no problem yeah yeah four weeks is decent time i think to do this yeah i mean home brewers have all the time in the world <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. That's that's about it. That wraps up the the episode. And uh, I mean, those are some really good insights that you've given us. Uh, especially, I think 
whoever can whoever listens to this would be able to figure out a recipe for making it at least i mean at home so yeah uh, some some really good insights and also yeah. on on different beverages that excels us <laughs> ciders <laughs> ciders we would love to talk more but you know maybe next time um, oliver's time is very precious and 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 i'm happy that we are happy that he's here with us today uh we like we really honored to have you here yeah so uh thanks for being here and uh, we look forward to seeing you again uh sometime in the future yeah Maybe thank in you pune yeah. oh yeah in pune for sure at oi thanks thanks a lot for having me bye bye all right guys that's the show so if you got something out of it make sure to give us a shout out on all your social media platforms we are at the beer savages don't forget to like share and subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcast platforms we are on apple spotify Amazon Music, Google and Stitcher. Until next time, join us as we embark on a journey to seek enlightenment in beer. Cheers. Cheers.